The Congressional Medal of Honor. Today, it's synonymous with heroism, with selflessness, with almost superhuman achievement that has a profound impact on a battle or on the lives of others. It's a vaunted rarity that has been given to 3,500 men out of the millions who have served in the military since the medal's inception. The Medal of Honor is so esteemed it actually has its own society to protect the integrity, and the majority of its recipients are deemed significant enough to have Wikipedia pages. Even if this is their only significant act, these pages describe what these men did in battle to earn such a huge honor. For quite a few years, it required acts of heroism and sacrifice so great that no man was alive to accept the award afterwards. But it wasn't always like this. It wasn't always as a big of a deal as a, pro- a profound thing. In fact, it was used quite liberally and was given to men who may not have deserved it or even sniffed the opportunity of having it in the decades after the Civil War. Now, medal giving before the Civil War was really quite different. There had been a few attempts to establish medals over the years. Uh, George Washington himself gave out three Purple Hearts for Merit starting in 1782. Now, this was an award for merit. It was not the modern award for being wounded in combat, which actually features George Washington's you know, profile of his, of his face. This was award was actually given out for meritous service. And in 1847, Congress authorized a certificate of merit, and that was to recognize distinguished service. It was given to 545 men during the Mexican War, But it wasn't issued again until uh, the 1870s when the United States Army was busy fighting Native Americans out west. So, before the Civil War, very few decorations had been given out. Kind of a societal thing where, like so much else in the early days of our country, medal giving was viewed as aristocratic and decidedly European, especially English. No one did more to prevent the United States Army before the Civil War from adopting um, medals was the General-in-Chief of the Army, Winfield Scott. Winfield Scott had been around for... 50 years at that point by the time the Civil War broke out. He'd fought in the War of 1812. He had commanded in the Mexican War. I mean, he was the face of the U.S. Army. And he wanted nothing to do with medals. And he was such a vaunted figure, there was really nothing that anyone could do about it. So there there was no meddlings whatsoever, which is probably surprising now, because when you think of a soldier from that era or a soldier now decorated in medals or now you see an officer in a dress uniform that's full of the fruit salad on the chest. There was none of that going on in the uh, American army before the war. So Winfield Scott's retirement on November 1st, 1861 was one of the big incentives to get a medal started. Now the Navy was actually the first to float the idea of a Medal of Honor. Gideon Wells was the Secretary of the Navy throughout the war, and in late 1861, he suggested having some kind of medal for the men in the Navy. James Grimes, a senator from Iowa, was one of the first to uh, put the idea on water. He served on the Senate Committee for Naval Affairs, as anyone from Iowa logically would, and he proposed in late 1861... Um, to present some kind of Medal of Honor to the Navy. And this really 
open the floodgates. The proposal said that for all members of the Navy and the Marine Corps, which was and is a subsidiary division of the Navy, the purpose was to promote the efficiency of the Navy. And President Lincoln approved the measure, and it was just before Christmas in 1861, and he signed into law a provision for up to 200 medals to be given to eligible Navy men and Marines that were enlisted. And to earn the earn the medal, they had to have the most distinct had to most distinguish themselves by their gallantry and other seamanlike qualities during the present war. With the enormous presence of Winfield Scott out of the way, and by the way, I mentioned Winfield Scott's enormous presence. The guy was like six five, three hundred pounds. He was huge, especially for that era. So the army, uh, a few months later got into the action as well. Henry Wilson, um, better known as a radical Republican from Massachusetts, at that time was the head of the Senate Committee on on Military Affairs, and he proposed a medal for privates in the Army who distinguished themselves in battle in uh, March of 1862. President Lincoln, it took him some time to approve the measure. It was approved on July 12, 1862, and it was sworn into law, it was signed into law that... uh, Privates and non-commissioned officers were eligible. The terms to earn the medal were pretty similar to those of the Navy. Um, to regular men and to regular and volunteer men who have distinguished themselves in battle during the present rebellion, officers became eligible for the honor in the early spring of 1863, right as Congress was getting out of session. Uh, also, at the same time, just as a side note, uh, Congress made the medal a permanent decoration for the Army at that point. Which is interesting that the medal didn't become a permanent fixture for the Navy or the Marines until 1915. Now, both branches of the military had the award. So what were the parameters for giving it out? And that's really kind of difficult to judge. It's hard to nail down the exact criteria for what made a Medal of Honor worthy performance during the Civil War. So the Navy gave the award out to men who were gallant showed gallantry in battle. Gallantry is bravery. They were courageous. They de- they did courageous things in a fight. The army was giving the award to men who distinguished themselves in battle. And I think that's a key criteria here and something you have to remember as we go forward with this story. Is the the navy gave the award to men who acted courageously. The army gave the award to men who stood out. But what does that really mean, men who stood out? In a way, it could mean whatever they wanted it to mean, as you'll soon see. The Medal of Honor is really hard to get now, in present day. Since Vietnam, very few men received the award for acts that they survived. During the D-Day operations in World War II, each division, about 6,000 men, was allotted one Congressional Medal of Honor for actions over a continuous month of fighting. In both wars, Vietnam and World War II, and in present day, there's a sliding scale of awards for meritorious service. The Distinguished Service Medal, the Bronze and Silver Stars, and all kinds of other various citations. But the Civil War, there was only one medal. And that's really the biggest thing here. There was only one medal to give, and that's why half the recipients who have ever received the Congressional Medal of Honor were given it during the Civil War. I just want to show the disparity for the reasons that medals of honor were given during the Civil War. Because again, there was really no other medal to honor men with. So here's two cases that I like to think of are particularly extreme. Uh, There's Cornelius Hadley. He was a sergeant in a uh, Michigan cavalry unit. 
And in November of 1863, he rode 50 miles over several mountains and crossed a couple of rivers, passed through Confederate lines twice, and in between was basically riding in enemy territory, all to deliver a message from General Grant in Chattanooga to General Burnside in besieged Knoxville. So Cornelius Hadley was expecting to stay in Knoxville with General Burnside until the siege was lifted because Grant had promised that he would soon turn and help raise the siege. However, as soon as he got there, Burnside read his note, sat him down, handed him four letters, and he sent Hadley back out immediately with responses for several generals and for his wife. So Hadley had to retrace his steps um, over the mountains, through the rivers. He narrowly escaped capture twice. His One of the men he was traveling with did get captured. And he had to hide out in a hollowed log for a while. He hid in someone's house. He had to escape down a ravine. He had to convince men on his own side to roam across the river. And finally, he was back and safe. He covered more than 100 miles on horseback and on foot within 48 hours. All this while wearing a captured Confederate uniform, something that could have gotten him hanged if he was caught. Comparatively, there was Marcus Hanna of the 50th Massachusetts. He, too, was a sergeant, and he was in Port Hudson, Louisiana on July 4th, 1863. They were boiling in the sun, he and his comrades, um, while they were laying siege to the that uh, holdout city on the uh, Mississippi River. And it was so hot out that by noon, um, he and the men he was with had run out of water. So Hannah took the initiative to gather up a dozen canteens and make a run for it to the rear, to a spring about a mile in the rear, to um, fill up the canteens for those in his peers. Um, The Confederates shot at him as he ran away, and when he came back, they didn't really shoot all that much. So if you factor in all the lousy aim that was had during the Civil War, um... Hannah's actions seem hardly comparable to those of Hadley's rides through enemy lines, and yet both were given Congressional Medals of Honor. Were both of the actions brave? Of course. Uh, both of these guys were risking their lives for the betterment of an army or for the, to help their peers. But there's such a variety in dodging mostly accurate gunfighter and riding through hostile lines in a stolen uniform, then coming back. What decided what men got medals for? Uh, therein lies the problem. The vagueness of the award meant re- men received it for a variety of reasons. During the actual Civil War itself, there were about 650 medals presented. And a lot of these were presented to men who fought in specific actions. Some of the first medals given out were distributed for the Andrews Raid of 1862. In April of of that year, uh, about two dozen Union men stole a locomotive around Atlanta and attempted to run the engine all the way up to Chattanooga, destroying every bridge as they went. It was a rather bold scheme, to say the least, to to disrupt a link between uh, two critical southern railroad junctions. The raid failed, obviously, but the Congressional Medal of Honor was approved a few months later, and 19 men, including several who received the award even though they were hanged as spies, and not including civilians who partook, were some of the first to accept the award. Uh, six of the men in 1863 were personally given the award in Secretary of War Edwin Stanton's office. 
So this is a good time to note, by the way, that even though these the Andrews raid happened before President Lincoln signed the Medal of Honor into actual reality, acts that occurred were still eligible for the Medal of Honor, and a total of 88 medals were given out for actions that happened before uh, July 12, 1862. Now, another great example of uh, Medals of Honor being given out en masse is um, the May 22, 1863, for the Vicksburg Storming Parties. Um, an astounding 81 men were given medals for their participation actions that day. The events happened just a couple of days after the Union had trapped Confederate forces against the Mississippi River in the city of Vicksburg. The Confederate forces were on the run after a pretty brilliant campaign by U.S. Grant. Um, An attack on May 19th had been rushed, and it had failed. So, this time with more planning, the Union Brain Trust decided... They had a prepped plan, and they would send men forward first to put up ladders and cover trenches and knock down debris and things like that to make an attack easier on Confederate positions. Uh, Lewis Renninger of the 37th Ohio was one of the men to go, and he was in one of those first waves, and just like his story is so similar to so many others, where... There's 150 men in the group he attacked with, and he was just one of 50 to make it out alive. And he left with uh, crippling wounds at that. And this was typical. I mean, the attack failed miserably, and the city didn't fall until July 4th when the Union settled down into a protracted siege. But most, a lot of the men who survived the actions were given medals of honor for their, their participation in the event. The Navy also gave out awards in bulk. For example, 17 Medals of Honor were awarded to sailors on the USS Corsairs, the sloop of war that sunk the Confederate raider Alabama in the summer of 1864 off the coast of Cherbourg, France. The medals were given to the ship's gunners, who, in the mind of naval commanders, exhibited coolness and exemplary conduct were under fire. They showed that gallantry that the naval medal givers were so looking for. Um... James A. Lee, for example, was given the award for exhibiting coolness and good conduct under fire while serving as a sponger on one of the Corsairs' guns. So now, for the most part, the Medal of Honor was not given out in bulk. Um, It took specific actions to get the medal. And one of the easiest ways to earn a Medal of Honor was to capture a flag. From my perspective, and mind you, this is only my perspective... The honor and the adulation for the American flag was not comparable then to what it is now. It had practical purposes, and it was kind of viewed in a different way because it had kind of a different meaning. Flags were very important to a Civil War regiment. All regiments carried at least one, often two flags into battle. A national flag, a state flag, maybe some other kind of emblem. A regimental flag, for example, the 69th New York. The national flag was often uh, embossed with the regiment's name, its regimental designation, and major battles that the unit had fought in. Basically, the flag was a floating placard that could identify a unit. It was a placeholder, a signifier of who these men were. And it was also uh, a signifier of a sense of place. Units, men marching with their regiment, dressed to the center. They looked to the flag as a guide to where they were going. Uh, They didn't really get ahead of it. They rarely fell behind it. 
And actually, I should note, the charge on Little Roundtop uh, that made Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain so famous and earned him a Congressional Medal of Honor, many scholars say that this was actually caused by the colors accidentally moving forward in a miscommunication. Uh, two companies had moved, moved forward to collect their wounded during a lull in the fighting, and the color company moved forward because they thought men were generally advancing, and the colors moving forced everyone else to move forward. The colors of a regiment were an identification symbol, and they were also an important landmark. I mean, men were looking to the flag for where to go. But also because the flag was so tall, it was a communication device. If the regiment got broken up, if things got scattered, if things got crazy, because war is way more hectic and way more hellish and way more broken up than we could ever conceive it to be, especially in the Civil War where we think of it in long, sturdy lines. It wasn't. Things just got absolutely crazy there. The flag was way above the heads of men and could be seen in the smoke. So it gave men a sense of purpose. It gave them a sense of where to be, of where to rally in case they were broken or needed to find their unit again. It was a critical part of a daily operation. Oh, and by the way, um, the 20th Maine's color bearer ran a little round top, uh, Andrew Tozier, also won the Medal of Honor at Gettysburg. Apparently he picked up a rifle and was shooting at advancing Confederates while holding on to the flag because he was basically standing by himself and was in an exposed position but couldn't really move because he was the center of the line and was representing where the men needed to be. So he was shooting and holding the flag at the same time, and somehow this worked well enough, and he was later given the Congressional Medal of Honor for it. So, I mean, obviously, yes, there was also the patriotic, sentimental value of a flag. Regiments were usually raised locally during the Civil War, and the colors that these men carried into battle weren't provided for them by the government. They were usually purchased um, using money that had been donated or raised by friends and family back home. This was a gift from loved ones. This was a sense of pride. This was a sense of community. This was a sense of hometown. So men were going to fight extra hard to protect the flag. Since it was such a disgrace to lose your flag, it was a huge honor to get your hands on one. And if you look at the numbers, a ton of Medal of Honor winners were given the medal for capturing flags. Now, obviously, it wasn't easy to capture a flag. If you read some of the stories of these guys capturing flags, it really sounds like a suicide mission. Take, for example, William Hanks of the 14th Connecticut. In the middle of Pickett's Charge, as Confederate units were getting closer, Hanks jumped up, ran to a nearby wall where a Confederate flag had been planted, swung his sword at the heads of the color guard around it, and as they were avoiding his crazy run, he grabbed the flag out of the ground, ran back to his lines, and this while he was dodging a hail of bullets. A more graphic example is Francis Waller of the 6th Wisconsin. His regiment was attacking the 2nd Mississippi at the railroad cut at the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg. The 2nd's colors were planted into the ground, and three men from the 6th were, were wounded, and one was killed while trying to get their hands on the flag. Waller managed to take it almost by accident, because... So many men had been knocked down and distracted that he kind of walked over and was able to rip it away. Now, for officers, the easiest way to win the Medal of Honor was, it was all about standing a post. For example, Adelbert Ames. He was a division commander at Gettysburg, and he was the Reconstruction Governor of Mississippi. Won a Medal of Honor for being gravely wounded, but staying with his guns anyway while serving as a battery commander 
at the First Battle of Bull Run. Ames had literally been out of the U.S. Military Academy for a month. He was in a very exposed position, got hit a bunch of times, was losing lots of blood, stayed with his guns. Henry Barnum was the colonel of the 149th New York, and at the Battle of Lookout Mountain, he was hit twice while leading his regiment into battle, uh, but he refused to leave his post and was given the award later on. One of the things that I think is the most interesting about this fascinating medal is the length of time over which these medals were awarded. Now, I mentioned previously the first medals were issued um, late 1862, early 1863. And some of the men we've talked about received their medals during the war. Um, Hanks of the 14th Connecticut got his medal on December 1st, 1864, and Francis Waller of the 6th Wisconsin received his the same day. Sergeant Hadley the guy who rode through enemy lines and back didn't get his medal until 1898. Louis Redinger, for his role in the Vicksburg Storming Party, didn't get his medal until 1894. And Sergeant Hanna didn't get his medal until 1895. There was like a 30-year gap between all these medals being handed out, at least. And it's really interesting because... More medals, it's just by a couple, but more medals were given out in the 1890s to Civil War veterans than were given out during the Civil War itself. So, what changed? Now, there's a lot of speculation going on here. This isn't really a written-about topic from what I've seen right now, but I think this is a really interesting subject, and it really needs to be addressed in my mind. If you walk around the battlefield at Gettysburg... A lot of the monuments were erected for the 25th anniversary of the battle. Uh, So that would be about 1888. At this point, the Grand Army of the Republic, which is basically what we have the VFW or the American Legion now. This is for, for Civil War veterans. The GAR was an incredibly powerful organization. War veterans were dominating political office and... Guys who had fought in the army were voting for them constantly. There were regimental reunions. There were constant meets at battlefields. It was a big deal to be a Civil War veteran. It was a big deal. And the monuments were a big part of that. It was one of the big ways of having a lasting legacy. That's why every town seems to have a Civil War monument up in the north. And that's why there are so many monuments at the Gettysburg Battlefield and strewn across other battlefields. And when you think about the Congressional Medal of Honor and this era of it, it really falls into the same trap. Uh, it really falls into the same column. a An effort to be remembered. I mean, the Civil War was one of the first big events in U.S. history. It was the biggest thing that many of these men would ever do. And these guys were obviously proud of their service. And I think that the Congressional Medal of Honor became a big deal, in part because so many men realized they could be individually honored for their service during the war. You know, these guys were fighting amongst hundreds of thousands of other men. So what better way to be remembered than by earning yourself a Congressional Medal of Honor. The process to earn a Congressional Medal of Honor was not really that difficult in the 1800s. All you really needed to do was to nominate yourself. 
I don't know how many men were denied a Medal of Honor. I mean, obviously, men were denied a Medal of Honor. Some research I've done suggests that between 1890 and 1897, 700 men were nominated for the Congressional Medal of Honor for actions during the Civil War. More than 650 were given, so you do the math on that one. It got so bad with men nominating themselves for the Congressional Medal of Honor that William McKinley, who was a Civil War veteran himself, actually stepped in and ordered that the criteria for the Congressional Medal of Honor be changed. So when President McKinley ordered the change in metal policy, this is when the idea of going above and beyond the acts of others uh, was first put into place. This is this is late June 1897 when this policy comes forward. After this date, the Medal of Honor could only be awarded for gallantry and intrepidity, and men had to go above and beyond what others had done. It also required um, that a submission for the Medal of Honor had to be made by someone else. Men who were seeking the medal could not nominate themselves. And also, the stories had to be corroborated much better. After this policy was passed, there was the need for sworn testimony as to the actions of individual men. Also, and this is really important, there was a time limit. Anybody who did an act after June 26, 1897 had only a year to be nominated for the award, so there would be no more of this lingering, I'm going to nominate myself or get someone to nominate me 30 years after the fact. Now, do I think this is a selfish act? No. I can completely understand. Again, this is one of the biggest things these men had ever done in their lives, and the identity of serving in the war was so strong that it was really difficult to get away from that. If you had the opportunity to receive such a prestigious award, there was all the more reason to do it. And it's really interesting, because in the 1890s, when these men got the awards, it was so informal. Now, if a man is living, or even if he's dead, the Congressional Medal of Honor is handed out by the president. In the 1890s, they would just show up in the mail. There were no parades, no big ceremonies. I think Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain opened his door one day and got the mail, and he opened it up, and he had become one of the very few Congressional Medal of Honor winners in American history. The award was handed out a lot. More than 1,500 men received the Medal of Honor during the Civil War, which, as a side note, nearly 500 more received the medal during wars with Native Americans from 1861 onward. Those don't count towards Civil War totals. I digress. So many Congressional Medal of Honors had been given out by the time World War I hit that the society that was formed to maintain the integrity of the Congressional Medal of Honor, members of that decided that they needed to not let that happen anymore. So they actually got together, and a a panel of generals got together, and they convened under uh, Nelson Miles, who had won the Medal of Honor in the Civil War more than 50 years before. They got together and decided they were going to review every single case of the Congressional Medal of Honor being handed out in in the previous 50 years to decide who got to keep it and who did not. I mentioned it previously, but this, this review board really kind of emphasizes how liberally the Medal of Honor was given out during the Civil War. 
If you look at the rolls, they struck more than 900 men off the Congressional Medal of Honor list in this review board in 1916. Think about that. The award, the award's been given to 3,500 men minus 900. I mean, that's a substantial quantity. And even more astoundingly, and this is just a crazy story, the grand, grand majority of those medals, about 850 of them, were taken away from one regiment. The 27th Maine was a nine-month regiment that was formed in the late summer of 1862. It was around September. They had to serve nine months. They were serving with the Army of the Potomac. They were due to go home June 30th, 1863 from Washington, D.C. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm kind of assuming that you realize that June 30th, 1863 was a crisis period in Washington because the Confederate Army commanded by Robert E. Lee was north of them in Pennsylvania. The Union Army was already short on troops at that point, and several brigades had been stripped from Washington's defenses to join the Army of the Potomac to beef up the size of the army in the field. The War Department was desperate for just about any troops they could find. Secretary of War Stanton and President Lincoln heard that the 25th and 27th Maine were nearby, and it was known that they had to, they were allowed to go home, and they were contractually free to do so. But through some compelling, the 27th Maine was convinced to stay, or at least part of it was. An estimated 300 men stuck around to serve uh, the defenses of Washington for a few more days just to provide some extra bodies around the city. Secretary of War Stanton was so pleased that he promised a Congressional Medal of Honor to every man who was willing to stay and fight in the ranks. The problem was that no one could remember or agree upon who decided to stay. More than half the regiment had gone home, but because they couldn't decide who stayed and who went, they ended up printing a medal for everybody. For 800-some-odd men of the 27th Maine, some of them who were home by the time their heroic actions were, I guess, executed. Those awards were stripped. They are no longer on the record books. There are 850 men who are no longer allowed uh, to be considered Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And there's more. There were 29 men who guarded President Lincoln's funeral train. They were picked from different units. And the men were stripped of their Congressional Medal of Honors. Uh, There was also six civilians who were stripped. Five were from um, Native American wars. Uh, the, The sixth is the only woman to ever win the Congressional Medal of Honor. Her name is Mary Walker. She was a surgeon during the war, and she wanted she was trying to wrangle a commission, which was turned down in 1865, and instead they gave her a Congressional Medal of Honor. It was stripped um, after the panel released its findings in, in uh, 1917, but Congressional Action in 1977 restored the Congressional Medal of Honor. And which, it's interesting because to this day, she is still the only woman to be awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. What's fascinating about the Civil War and the Congressional Medal of Honor that has to go with it is that the memory is so long that people are still trying to get their relatives the Congressional Medal of Honor. The most recent Civil War Medal of Honor was given out in 2014. Alonzo Cushing, who famously was commanding uh, his battery, basically where Pickett's charge hit, 
was gravely wounded, stayed with his guns, died on the field. He was given the Medal of Honor. His family was given the Medal of Honor. And now his legacy is that he's a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. Also, interestingly, the guy who took over in command of the battery um, after Cushing died uh, also won the Medal of Honor long time before that. There are, there have been several Medals of Honor given out in the 21st century, and people are still wrangling for it today. I found an article while I was doing research about this from a couple years ago where a guy who captured a Confederate general in the closing days of the war, his family is still trying to get him a Congressional Medal of Honor. They say that someone else was awarded the, the medal for something that he had done himself. And I think that right there is the most compelling thing. That the war is long over. None of us know what it looked like or what it smelled like or what it was like to fight in the Civil War. What it was like to get up and flee under a lead of 58 caliber bullets. But we still care. And, I mean, I personally, I still seek out Civil War headstones. I think... It is fascinating to find the headstone of a Congressional Medal of Honor winner. It's amazing because it's such a vaunted award now, and we equate that with such heroism. The Medal of Honor got its start during the Civil War, and rightfully so, is the most prestigious award that can now be given. And it had a rough beginning. Certainly the acts that the men who won the Congressional Medal of Honor during the Civil War, they don't really stack up to an Audie Murphy who was standing on a burning tank or anything like that. But it is interesting to know that this was really the first time in U.S. history, on a large scale, where there was an effort to honor the contributions and the heroism of ordinary men. And I think that is really the key here. Anybody could win, win this award. There were guys who won the award, and if you follow the course of the rest of their lives, just disappeared into obscurity. I mean, in my home area, there is someone buried in a mass grave because he was an alcoholic and was committed to a sanitarium and died in a prison lot and ended up being put in a mass grave. There are headstones that are decaying where there's still the Medal of Honor winner plaque proudly portrayed. For me, that's the most fascinating part about the Medal of Honor, that it's a marker that really helps you remember how much it makes you really think about where this comes from, where this heroism, where this bravery comes from. It's not not all these guys became great things. Not all these guys went down in history for anything. But the Medal of Honor is there to remind us that so many men did so many brave and incredible things that they probably would never have had the chance to do or would have ever even considered doing in their ordinary civilian life without the Civil War. But because of small singular actions that saved the day or brought them great pride or saved the lives of many others... Because of small acts, these men get to be remembered for all of eternity, just for the little things they did. And to me, that's what makes the Congressional Medal of Honor so special. To learn more about the show, the host, and for what works cited, visit CivilWarShorts.com. And be sure to follow on Twitter and like us on Facebook.